so in this episode, uh, I wanted to bring up um, topics around like work, burnout and work and why we do what we do and um, I guess motivations and, and goals that we have when we're working in open source or, or anything in life. Uh, I guess the last weeks I've been feeling kind of burnt out in terms of um, just like the burden of doing something in public, I guess. Um, and also, you know, having not being able to release a, a major version for like a year and like kind of every day it's like, oh, I still haven't finished kind of thing. And so um, there's a similar issue with in, in faith too, where it's like, you know, you're working and um, maybe you've lost sight of the vision or um, stuff like that. I wonder, it, it seems like this is sort of relevant to, I guess, my work in research. And I was just thinking about that with relation to faith and with open source of sometimes I think what makes it hard is your timeline is not super clear and you don't always have these measures of how do you know you're doing something well or not. Um, I was just thinking maybe this is also why people in nonprofit work or just like the social sector work can also get burned out because um, there's kind of no end to it. And you don't like almost like, I mean, the definition of faith is that like, you don't know, but you're having faith and that what you're doing makes sense or that this is the right thing to be doing. And it's a lot about just sort of like trusting yourself and being very inwardly focused instead of looking for external indicators of how well you're doing. And I think like, maybe that's also true for a lot of open source work where it's not clear when a project is ever done, right? It's sort of like, well, and if it's not ever done or there's always something else I could be doing, then how do I find a way to sort of find my own inner quiet and be able to sort of stand still and say, I'm doing this for me and not because I'm chasing after whatever extrinsic um, reward there is. Yeah, I think that's something that's even just for software itself. I, I talked about this on um, a different podcast, but like how unlike like if you're writing a book or a paper or a movie or a piece of artwork, it's like there is a point where it's done and you're not you're not really going to go back and make it better. But with software, you can always make a new version um, in some sense and never ends. Um, which is can be helpful and also not helpful if you're feeling burnt out. Yeah, it's finding it's finding some some way to just be happy and be in the moment versus chasing towards some end, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess with faith, it's like you, um, yeah, it is. A, I mean, it's kind of it's a lifelong commitment really. And so there is no, um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, there, there is a sense where we, we all want to have some kind of validation, but if we're all seeking that and we're never really always going to have it, um, it does. Yeah. It does have to come internally where it's like, yeah, I'm internally motivated to continue moving on. And yeah, what you said, like being, um, in the moment and, um enjoying what's happening right now um even if it's not going well at uh, at the current time but like having hope um for what the future holds i guess i think it's part of why community becomes so important in these situations yeah. too because right? like it is 
committee can make you, can bring you back to the present moment and that you're thinking about the connections you're feeling to the people around you. Um, I just like, I generally notice that I'm much, much happier when I feel connected to other people. And that's like a very present thing, right? Like community isn't really so much about, Mm. I mean, yeah, it's it's less about the past or the future. It's more about like in this moment, I feel like I'm part of something. And so I wonder if that just like helps draw our mental eye back to the present instead of trying to project into the future. Yeah. And not like, cause the future and the past, it's all about like worry. Um, like what's going to happen to me or what's going to happen to this project versus yeah. Being in the present and even a, a similar word presence, um, the presence of other people. Um, and kind of like we were talking earlier about how, like if you're doing something that's hard or difficult um, with other people, you're going to, there's a, there's like a, a sense of bonding that you get and um, struggling through something together can definitely help. Um, and so with, with faith, it's like, maybe you're not, you know, um, yeah, you're not feeling great, but other people can build you up in the same way with open source, you're feeling burnt out, you know, talking to other people on your team or other maintainers. Um, I know when I was feeling like that, just <laughs> this last week, I don't know, just talking about it with, friends um yeah it really helps at least to get you out of that place so that you can continue to move forward um from getting stuck where are the ways in which those conversations happen naturally in uh like a faith-based community yeah is there um, space for that right that's that's a really good point actually because you think about it um it's like if you're feeling this way, you might feel weird about telling someone about something you're dealing with. Um, and so, um, I think the fact that, you know, in a community or church community, there's like almost explicit, you know, I guess structures for that is is helpful because they're like, okay, you know, say, um, yesterday we had like a prayer meeting and I mean, that's literally a time where you can go and talk to someone about what you're dealing with. Um, and so, you know, there's a time to kind of, uh, we, we have a worship session and then we pray and we use the word intercede. So praying on behalf of other people, like what's going on in our, the country or the city or the church. And then afterward, just, uh, with the people that are there. Um, and, you know, we're called to, you know, talk to people that we don't know or people that we do know. Um, and this is just like after work and, you know, people are tired, but they're willing to, you know, be there for one another. Um, and it's like, you know, in a small environment, so it's uh, pretty intimate. It's not like, um, you know, out in the open or whatever. Um, and so that's like, uh, every week that you could have that opportunity. Um, otherwise it's like, um, if you're in like a, we call them like small groups. Um, when you join a church, it's, it's hard to meet people if, you know, maybe there's hundreds of people or something. Um, you're never going to be able to meet everyone um, and be able to go deeper, right? And so having a group and then we have our own group chat um, and everyone has their own contact, you can message people directly um, if you're dealing with something. Like my friend, um, uh, he he just uh, called me the other day because he was trying to, he was dealing with some issues with work and, and wanted and the job stuff. Um, and so I was able to, uh, talk about it with him. Um, but yeah, like it would be interesting to think about 
how, how would we have that in open source? Because <clears throat> I feel like, I mean, even as you're describing though, it sounds like there's there's almost two purposes in um, being able to share your what you're feeling with the rest of the community. And like one is almost having other people just bear witness to something you're experiencing, which because mm. I mean, like saying you're having a hard time or a hard week or whatever, like it's very different in a context of like, I don't know the size of uh, the small groups you're talking about, but even if it were like five people, it's, it's very different to have a conversation in that context versus one-on-one. And it sounds sort of like there's one thing to be able to say publicly, like Mm. I'm just kind of having a hard time, you know, so that people know that that's true. And then it's another to kind of go off on that side channel, like what you're talking about with your friend and, having like a more one-on-one conversation about what's going on. Um, but those are like different, different channels, right? Right. So like in a small group setting, um, you might share with the whole group and then maybe uh, individual people can speak up, but then you, you definitely, there's um, intentional, like kind of breaking up into like one-on-ones kind of thing. Um, Cause yeah, then it's just a different dynamic and di- di- around different people, you know, Maybe not everyone can understand what you're dealing with. So, and um, I guess it's like yeah, what you said about bearing witness. Like you want, you want to be, I guess, known. You want people to like know what you're going through, um, and that that kind of requires um, a more personal one-on-one situation. Do you feel like there are explicit spaces for that, and like? I mean, it's not even just open source, but any sort of like largely asynchronous work context. Like I felt this, I worked at two completely or mostly distributed companies now. Um, And when you don't have that sort of like casual water cooler talk, it can be hard to be like, you know, the only time, if the only time you talk to each other is about a work or a task oriented thing, then like, where do you find the space to have those side conversations? And like I found it comes just from like forming personal relationships and then be able to talk to that person. But it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's hard to find that space. Yeah. I don't know if it comes, I mean, I, like you said, it comes naturally then it's just, you know, you find someone that just happens to, it just feels like you, you're able to share with that person. Um, but so maybe it's not like a company per se has to create those kinds of spaces, but um, provide an environment in which you can feel comfortable doing that. So I don't think it means that you necessarily have to make like meetings or that kind of thing, but like, um, through just like conversations at lunch or, or outside of work, it's like, that's where you kind of get to know people out outside of the work context. Um, and then, yeah, people will bring up, you know, what they do outside of that and what they're dealing with. Sometimes I've had people that, um, even at work, they've asked about like, uh, just they're like, oh yeah, you're you, know, you you talk about faith a lot, and so that conversation comes up, um, and through that we might talk about things that we're dealing with and how I handle that. So, Nick and brought this up last time we we talked, um, but it also it just brings up this question for me of like, how much do you share with fellow maintainers versus how much do you share with the general public, and like how much do you kind of filter to be like, Oh, everything's going great versus like a smaller set of people where you can be honest. Um, and I, I saw you like tweeted a few days ago about being like, Hey, I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of so like clearly like you didn't do that all. And like how, like 
when do you feel comfortable sharing that stuff super publicly versus like in a more intimate context? And and also like, what was the reaction to being able to say something like that publicly? Yeah, that's it. I, that, that was a struggle and I didn't even want to say anything at all um, because it's like, you don't really, well, that's the thing. Like the point of a part of the point of the community is so that you can bring your burdens to people to know about, but I don't want to just like, be all negative all the time um obviously everyone's going through stuff all the time and i don't know if tweeting like a thing that just says i'm not feeling well is that even that helpful because there's literally no context and so it's like i almost feel like i have to bring all this stuff so that people understand otherwise it's just like why do i even need to say it if i'm not saying anything then that means something you know is up i guess <laughs> um I don't know. Yeah. And then with in a more private conversation is easy because you, you maybe you have a private Slack channel just for the maintainers and you just talk about it. You're like, Hey, I'm, I just, I'm not feeling well. I, I don't think I can work today or stuff like that. Um, publicly is so weird. Um, like I, I don't want to, I don't want people to have the impression that like, um, I'm some like superhuman that like doesn't have these issues, but I also don't want to like, uh, I don't know. It's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's better if it's more uh like if I wrote a blog post about that, it would feel better to me even because there's more context. And almost like maybe more distance too of at least I think of it more as like you might write a blog post as a reflection to work out your feelings. Um, which doesn't necessarily necessitate a response. Yeah, like I'm not looking for someone to like help me per se because it would be weird to ask. I don't know. It's just like I'm asking random people online for like support in that way versus like, I don't know, there's people that are more close to you locally that you probably want to share with. Mm -hmm. Not that I wouldn't accept that help. It's just that there's there's no connection there really. So um, yeah. it's kind of one way usually. Mm-hmm. So how do you like shifting a little bit? Um, how do you find that level of like intrinsic motivation um, when like if you are feeling that way to just like find that sort of like inner peace and inner calm? Yeah, because you know I think in the end when you start feeling the sense of like almost like dread and like not wanting to even look at it. Um, because a lot of it for me was that, you know, we haven't released this major version in like over a year. And so like every day someone's going to be like, hey, how's it going kind of thing. And then each time, like if you're already feeling bad, you don't even want to like think about it. You just want to like do stuff. And then everything is a distraction to, to that. And so I know it makes you think about like, yeah, why are you doing this in the first place? How did I even get to this point? Um and what happens is, yeah, you put so much pressure on yourself, um, which in the end is, a, to me, it feels like just pride because that means I don't want to actually say that I either messed up or don't know what I'm doing. Because if I finally realize that, then I should feel free to just get the work done. Um, and there's this weird internal pressure to keep moving so when you're not like, I think if you're new, it's good to have that kind of thing because it pushes you to go forward. But when you're already doing it, 
I don't know if you need to like feel like you have to keep continue to output, you know, like, oh, if I don't have a consistent thing that I'm not like doing well and I have to continue to like satisfy people's wants, but that's all perceived. It seems like so much uh, of like the unhappiness or discontent that I've noticed in myself and in other people in these situations is less about what you're doing and more about a fear around how are you being perceived for what you're doing. Um, it's like only when you have this sort of like external measure that you're worried about, like, yeah, what will people think if we haven't like done this release yet um, that then people get upset and like tuning that out is a pretty like fast way to stop feeling shitty about it. Yeah. That's why I was saying I wanted to, I was telling you, I wanted to write that blog post about fear driven development because that's what I was feeling. <laughs> It just paralyzes you in everything. It's hard to find that perfect balance between, like, to some extent, I think I'm, like, pretty, you know, I, I think I generally skew towards I'm doing the things I'm doing because I want to do them. Um, but if no one ever paid attention to anything I did, I would also be, like, kind of sad, I think. I kind of feel like, <laughs> does anyone care? Um, yeah, does what we matter, yeah. Yeah, like, you want to feel like you're contributing to something to the world. Um, and so like, like there is some version of like fear development that is probably like a good, um, forcing function to mm. like, you, you don't want to feel like it just doesn't matter at all what other people think. But then on the other hand, you also don't want to have it, like you said, I mean, it, it will just become paralyzing if you think about it too much and finding that in between is really hard. Um, right. I was thinking about this with writing recently, just cause like now that I'm working in research, it's like what is my output and my output is probably just like documenting and publishing a lot of knowledge. And, um, it led me to sort of re-examine some of the tools I've been using, um, in the past couple of years when I wasn't working in research and like medium and Twitter are like two things that sometimes when I use them, I feel really good. And sometimes I just feel like stressed out about it because it leads me to tailor like to an audience. And when I think about doing, research in particular, it's about like doing things that aren't well understood and that people might not understand at first. And the thought of publishing that where I'm like worried about how many people are responding to it, it's just like a very stressful, non-productive environment for me. And it made me like not want to write at all. Um, and I feel like I've only just in like last week or so figured out how to resolve that for myself. I, um, like ideally I think I'm like just going to not publish on medium at all. And, like I started publishing like my private notes just on my own website so that it's not like on Twitter. It's just, if you want to read it, it's out there, but it's not um, something that I need like validation for. Um, and yeah, just finding a, a place where I can say <clears throat> like, I'm doing my work over here and you can watch if you want, but like, I'm not doing this in order to get your approval. It's like, yeah, working in a semi-public context, I guess. Um, yeah, but being able to like sort of just tune out what like what other people are saying. Yeah, maybe yeah, I guess that's the issue with doing anything in public, which all of open source is. Um, and then it becomes about thinking about what people think versus even doing it in the first place. And then yeah, like you said, I don't even want to do it anymore. <laughs> I was talking to a friend about this who's also an open source developer, um, and he was saying like I don't understand why. Uh, companies are so protective about wanting to build everything privately before they open source it. And, um, and he, he challenged me. To, I was like, I, I kind of get it because like, sometimes you just 
you want to, if you have a strong vision or idea for something, you kind of just want to like develop it. And because you need to get this thing out that's inside of you um, before you start, you know, having other people kind of poking around and looking at it. Um, and he had challenged me to, to think of like, it, have, have there been any like super negative examples of someone like a, a open source project that was open source too early and turned into some sort of like PR disaster? Um, and I said, yeah, I can't, I can't really think of one. And like, it's true. Like it is sort of considered to be this worst case scenario if you open source too soon, but like, has it actually like hurt anyone? But I don't think it's necessarily about that, like worst case scenario of something is shared that's too private or whatever. Um, but it's more just about like, the reason why I'm more in favor of doing some things privately or just at least not advertising them at first is because like, I feel like you need that quiet space in order to do something really creative. No, I agree. Um, it's yeah. I don't think there are any. There's no disasters because that. I don't even think there. There can really be a disaster if you do it. It's just that what happens is you're inviting other people to get involved, and so that will change like how the you know the eventual how the project's gonna move going forward. And so if you have that vision, you're kind of like, not that you don't want people's opinions, but it's like you want to figure out what the core is yourself. And you haven't even found that. And so someone's going to take it and move it in a different direction. Um, or you're going to have to spend more of your time just doing open source, which is like maybe everyone just keeps forgetting how much work it takes to maintain a project, especially in the beginning, because you're going to find that like once you you know do your tweet or blog post that like, you know, 20,000 people star your repo. Um, and, and now you're going to have all these people like, hey, I want to contribute here and here. And then you don't even do the work anymore. So maybe... It's not that it it's like a worst case scenario where it makes it worse, but it's more like it just delays the release, actually. Yeah, like it's 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 almost like what's the uncaptured potential that got derailed? Less it's less about something super negative happened, but more that maybe you didn't get to do all the things you would have been able to do if tons of people weren't paying attention. Um, right. So I guess it's like at what point do you do the release? It's like if you're still trying to figure out what the point of this project is that I don't think you should do it then unless you just, you want like certain people to be involved. And the reason why he brought up was he was saying um, the, the flip side of taking too long to release. And I definitely think there, I mean, there, there is a, a flip side where like, you know, there's some projects that should have been released earlier that weren't. Um, he's saying the flip side is that like people's enthusiasm might wane and um, like you're, you're, you're not capturing the potential of this group that could have been your evangelist, but instead they got kind of bored because you took too long to release something. And then they kind of like walked away disappointed. And so his approach was sort of saying like, can, can you engage with people as early as possible and have them contribute? Um, but I think like, even by that same reasoning, it's another reason not to open source too early, because if you have someone come in super early and like you said, you, you haven't figured out the core of the thing you're trying to do yet, um, and they're excited to contribute, but like, you don't, you're not even sure how to direct them, then they'll still be, I think, disappointed and walk away. So like, I don't think bringing them earlier necessarily even gives them an opportunity to participate. Um, That's interesting. Cause you're like kind of inviting in like the floodgates of people. Yeah. That kind of like makes me think like, how is that different from after it's released? Because where the floodgates are still open. And so and we're still trying to figure out what we're doing later. And there's still, you know, all these people that can come in 
uh, 24-7 at any point in time for anywhere around the world, um, which is really great, but that is like a recipe for disaster, I guess, right? Sounds horrifying to me. <laughs> and, and I think about it, that's exactly what we did. Yeah, <laughs> we allowed, that is what opens um, And so I'm not opposed to, you know, put quote, putting barriers, um, not because I don't want people to be in, but it's like, the fact that we allow everyone just means everyone has a bad experience. And so right. for our own sake and for new people's sakes, so that they don't leave, we should figure out a way, like kind of like maybe what we said last episode about like finding committed people that want to be a part of this project in depth versus like some surface level thing. Right. Right. Which is like a, actually I just had a conversation with someone else about that. of like how, like what are your heuristics for being able to tell when someone is not just in it, they're not just going to like peace out from the project, but they're actually like a little bit more interested in sticking around. Like I'm curious for you, like how do, how do you know that um, either in a faith or open source context, but like, how do you know when someone isn't just sort of there to like, yeah, do the thing at least. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if there's a, a way to really know. Um, whether it's open source faith, I, even my friend was just asking me today, um, how, what's the best way for me to like start learning how to code? And I'm like, wow, that's a really simple question, but I feel like I don't have an answer. Um, and, and then I was like, oh, maybe I should start up like a fun little, like, you know, group of people that I can teach them and stuff. But then I'm doing the same thing again. Like I can invite anyone. I don't know if they're committed. I don't know if they're going to stay. And so obviously the first suggestion he has like, oh, then we can pay you for it. And so maybe that's how some people think about it. It's like, oh, there's a barrier in terms of cost. Like the fact that there's a cost at all means that certain people won't want to do it. Um, but it doesn't have to be monetary cost. I think, yeah, I think that it means sense to me that they have to provide some level of um, something that says that they're willing to sacrifice um to be a part of this thing versus kind of like, I mean, they can leave whenever they want, but then it's like, we want to know like that we're, we're able to invest. If I want to spend all this time to help you, then I want to know that you're in it. It's really interesting. I think that's a, I think a, an interesting example because yeah, I think we've like historically we use money to help commit people. Like there's studies about how, if, even if you pay $1 for an event, right. <clears throat> it's like, yeah, we're likely to show up than if you if you paid zero dollars. Um, and that's like I guess one way of motivating people through like an extrinsic reward. But um learn to code in particular is interesting just because there's so many public resources at this stage for someone else to learn how to code. And I think the like the tension I struggle with at least is like there's a party that wants to say, Well, how about you go learn on your own for a bit? And then like if you're still interested, then cool, we'll go deeper. But like the trade-off with that is like, well, it's, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to make the barrier to entry so high that it's like your people aren't learning who otherwise would have, like maybe some people would learn better in a setting that's super structured with like a teacher um, who's like kind of walking them through something. And then for other people, they can just like kind of read through things and like figure out their own. But like, I don't know, unless, unless you're doing it as your job or because you just love the act of teaching someone how to code, like, I would think about it as like, well, I want to know that you care. And the best way for me to know whether you actually care is if you've 
done a little bit of the work yourself before bringing me in. Um, yeah, that was my thinking, but uh, it's hard because I it would be funny if so. Think about it in terms of faith context. It's like, hey, I want to like learn about what it would mean to be a Christian or come to your church, and then you tell them, oh, you should do it by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds crazy. Um, yeah. So, but then with coding, it's same. I don't, I don't like it's with open source too. Like, so many people are like, oh, check out the issues. I, I never thought that was a good idea because I just, I just don't see how they're really going to get it. Um, I happen to learn it that way, but I don't know. I just happen to like be super motivated to, to do it anyway and like go through all that pain or struggle or whatever it is. But I don't see that being like, a normal way of doing it. I think this is why it is sort of different from a faith example in that like there's some, I think it's, it's more, there's a more obvious um, mutuality to that relationship. If someone comes to church and says they want to be part of it, because like you worshiping and learning alongside another person kind of strengthens your own practice um, there's, and I think that's similar to with like learn to code, where if you just love teaching someone how to code, then you'll just happily teach them regardless of whatever they've been doing, because it just feels good to you to teach someone and then they're learning. And like, there is again, that mutuality. If you're not super excited about spending your time <laughs> teaching someone how to code, uh, but you would be, if they were like really, really psyched about it, then I do think it makes sense to like have a little bit more friction there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's, I guess it really just depends on the particular person and, and like what's incentivizing them to be there. Um, I think about this with like, uh, like I get a lot of inbound around um, people asking about how to structure the community around a project they want to open source, which is always kind of funny because I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm like, I'm not the person you should ask about. <laughs> um, because I'm not a maintainer. I don't know. Like it, it's always like a little bit bizarre for me. Um, but I get a lot of inbound around it. And like at some point for me to like, it's not that fun for me to sit and regurgitate, like hear all the things you should think about because like it's, it's public and like, you should like, I don't, I don't want to, it's not, I'm only going to engage in those conversations if I feel like it will be fun for me too. And that's not me being selfish, but it's like, I just like, I only have so much time in my life and like, I'm not going to spend it just like repeating mindlessly something that you can find out on your own. But if I do feel like there's some other reason why I would want to talk to that person or I'm, I'm capable of learning something too, then like I might be more likely to talk to them. Yeah. And maybe I, I think about it now. It's a lot of it's just like kind of the environment in which they're asking it. Like if it's like an email or open source I feel less inclined to want to help even though I'm doing it now, but maybe that's just because I'm used to it. I feel like now I don't really want to do as much because it's digital. Um, when you're, when someone's asking you for help, like my friend, like they're my friend. So like maybe I'll just do it anyway or, and I'm doing it in person. And then when then someone comes to our church, it's like, I'm, well, I'm already like committed to being there anyway and then they went out of their way to like come here on a certain day at a certain time at this place and so i already there's almost like a level of commitment that i can see right. just for them asking but when it's online like they could have just you know did this randomly so i don't i can't know from that right yeah it's like it doesn't really actually cost you anything 
if someone just wants to come and worship with you in the same place, um, it's all, it's only really additive, I think, as long as they're not like, I don't know. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what that would be. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess like, I think a more equivalent analogy would be if you were, um, yeah, if you just had like tons and tons of people coming into the church all the time that were asking about the same thing that required your personal touch, then at some point you would probably start to filter. Um, and I think you're right. Like, yeah, taking the time to come all the way to church is like, or just yeah, showing up to a physical setting is like such a higher level of commitment than firing off an email. Right. I mean, it's almost so much that we're like, wow, like someone actually came and said, okay, <laughs> we're really going to help you. Um, and so another thing we do is like, uh, if they are new and, and they, they said like in the um, announcements, we'll be like, hey, if you're new, then you can come to like this info table where there are people that their role is to be there for people that are new and give them more information about what the church is about or whatever. And then usually there are people that stay back. They're like, Oh, we'll get lunch with you and we'll talk about X, Y, Z with you. So it's not just like, cause otherwise it's kind of like uh, you go there and you leave. Like it's almost like a weird, like it's like a mall or a shopping or something like, Hey, I went to the store. I got something out of it and now I'm leaving. And I'm just, I only need to come here when I happen to stop by or whatever. It's like, no, we want to be like, you know, intentional. Um, and then we'll try to follow up like either through the email or, or, you know, doing like a lunch thing one-on-one later. Um, and that's like so different from like open source where it's just like, oh yeah, they showed up and then maybe they'll have another PR, right? It's like so different. Well, I think that's where I'm wondering, like, what are your, can you tell from, and the first, like the first contact, like whether someone is more intrinsically motivated um and like how would you, how would you be able to like feel that out just to know like because I, I i do think there are some people in church or in open source who are just gonna i think we talked about this last time too like i think it is okay if you want to just kind of show up enjoy it once and leave but then you also wouldn't want to like spend too much time on someone like that you want to just let them have their experience and then you're not going to like follow up a ton so like how do you like are there are there ways to sort of just like know through your experience of like this person might care a little bit more than the average yeah i think maybe then it's yeah we're so we're not like preventing people from going for whatever they want to do but it's like can we provide an option or opportunities for people to like commit more you know like oh i and you can even just be like oh i'm gonna am i gonna see you next week or like you want to get involved in this activity or whatever that is. Um, and that was another level of, okay, I need to be there kind of thing. I don't, and maybe that's part of the fact that like with, in a church setting, there is a consistency and a schedule to things. Um, and that is, it's good. Like having that structure or, yeah, at least even like, actually it's funny, even coming to church, it's like, they know there's a time, like assuming they found the website or they just happen to pass by like there's a time and place for it. Whereas in open source, unless we have like some kind of office hours type thing, um, people are just asking at random times and they're expecting an answer right? Um, or, or not. And then they don't do it. Um, and so maybe it's about be making open source maintainers more available at specific times consistently, uh, which I, I know certain uh, projects do that. Yeah, um, they'll do like an and, office hours kind of thing. Yeah. 
maybe that maybe that's helpful. And this is kind of like why I want to do like a in person office hours kind of thing. Uh, so like people that are in New York or whatever, that would be that would be more fun for me because then like I don't know, it just feels more real versus just like doing it online or something. But um, yeah, but then it's like if it hasn't started figuring out logistics and all that stuff, it might be difficult. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly. <laughs> It's it's almost like I I need I for me personally I need to like I need to talk to them like um, just like the question of like how do I learn programming like oh I want to be involved in open source like I don't even the fact that I I feel like open source is so big and maybe they think it's like a specific thing I want to know what they think it is and what they want to be involved in and they don't really know then I have to like basically provide them with all these different opportunities and find figure out for help them figure out which one they're most interested in. And do you think that's a, I guess, a worthy investment of time? And it's, it gets back to the same question of like, well, how much should you expect them to have just gotten a sense of it on their own versus you telling them? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a leading question. Guess, I'm like actually curious. No, I, I think that's the trade-off because like, I don't want this, uh, this, like as a, you know, programmer or whatever, we all want like this automated solution. And so maybe it's like, oh, we have like these forms that you fill out or whatever. It's like, do we really want to do it that way? Um, just cause we think we need a scale or something. Um, but no, I think maybe in the end having like a short conversation that maybe we need to figure out what to ask for. Um, whether it's like five minutes or 10 minutes. And then from that, we'll learn what it is and, and maybe it has to be like in that way versus just like forms like i don't know because then it's just automating it is inviting more people that you can handle than maybe purposely limiting it in terms of just speaking one-on-one is better because then it's a different context i think there's like an in-between too i was just thinking like you can say this is something i, I realize like i actually do quite a bit um with inbound is like here are a bunch of resources and like, I think they're good resources. Like I actually highly recommend these um, if you want to dig through them and then let me know if you have questions is like a pretty good filter because then it's like, if you care, if you actually cared about learning more, then you'll be excited to dig through the resources. And if you don't care, then like, I didn't waste my time, like trying to dive into your needs. Um, It's hard though. Like the, the, the other part I struggle with is like, Sometimes it's like having a conversation with someone that just like sparks something in you. And like, I want to like, like more so than just like reading a thing about the topic. Like sometimes it's like just a good conversation. is like perfect. And it's just, you synthesize something in a certain way that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, but yeah, I think it's also just not realistic to, for me to have to do that for everyone else, because then I don't get to do the things that I want to do with my life <laughs> if I'm constantly doing it for everyone else right yeah because like people ask all the time and that yeah i'll be like you should read our contributing guide which is like a pretty standard thing but most people don't so it kind of does remind me of even at work when i <laughs> i remember thinking about like how i would ask my boss or other coworkers for help and the way they talk talked to me about that was like they would know whether i looked at like looked into the problem or not 
like he could tell based on the questions I asked him. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, okay. So then later I learned like how to, what, what are the kind of questions that are helpful versus just like, I don't get it, help me kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so, cause that, that tells him that like, you know, I didn't actually, I just am frustrated and I don't know how to do it. Um, it's not really based on time, right? It's just like, did you actually look into it? Yeah. And so maybe it's kind of a similar thing. Like the fact that they're asking something so vague, you know, means that they didn't really look into it. And maybe all we have to do is give them those resources and then they'll come back and be like, oh, actually, I saw that you had this and I want to work on this specific thing. Um, I think a lot of people do that, right? It's like when people ask them for questions, they want a specific, concise thing versus like, help me. Yeah. That's definitely a filter I use for email also of like, if it's clear to me, you haven't done any, if someone's sort of like, Hey, what are you up to or something? It's like, my life is pretty much on the internet. Like you can tell where I work or like what I do or the, or the last thing that I wrote. And like, if you haven't taken the time to, or another one is if people on Twitter ask like for my email address, I'm like, I make my email address really public. And if you can't figure out where that is, then like, that's a filter for me of like, you didn't, you didn't put in a little bit of effort. So why would I put in more effort on you? Um, so yeah, there's like little, little things like that where you can just sort of be like, okay, like this is a basic level. Yeah. That makes sense. I was going to say that we were talking about like fear and stuff, right? And like how having, you know, you say like having a healthy amount of fear is, or I guess that's, that's it. Like you can have a healthy amount of fear. Um, but I was thinking at like, or, or more on the faith side where um, there's a, there's a quote by, um, what was it? Marilyn Robinson. She was saying that, uh, yeah, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. Um, which is a really interesting quote because she, it's not just that fear is not like Christian. It's like that it's a habit, um, that being in fear is like a continual thing and it's not Christian. Uh, and so I would say that like in terms of like work and fear, um, it's not really like that we have a little bit of fear and that'll make us move forward. It's like, then we should turn that around basically in the opposite. It's like we have, you know, where does our hope come from? And that because of that hope, we continue to move forward versus like being scared a little bit of like, oh, I need to continue to do more, right? It's like, if we actually have that vision of whatever it is, and usually it will be, you know, to make a difference, right? I really like that. It's like fear and hope are both really strong motivators. Um, and they're sort of like, I guess two sides of, of the same coin, but it's it's it seems a lot healthier and happier to think about how do how can you take fear and turn it into like hope and excitement for the future. Yeah, it's weird because um, in the Bible it does use fear, but it doesn't use it in the way that people usually think about. It. Like it says, you should fear God, um, but it doesn't mean like be scared of God. <laughs> um, it's more of a like. Uh, like respect or honor or worship God and that and also worship itself is like a positive thing it's something that not just what we're called to do but something that we enjoy it's like if you treasure and cherish who God is then you're going to want to worship him and some people think that the way that we um, are most satisfied in who God is is by worship Thanks for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at LeftPad or Nyafia or on our website, hopeandsource.com.